I'm David Rosen, host of TIPCO's Tech Talk podcast. We have a great episode for you today. Last week, friend of the pod, Danny Hornigold of Verbal F1, sat down with our chief analytics officer, Michael O'Connell, on a wide-ranging conversation about the role of data and analytics in Formula One. TIPCO is a full technology partner rather than a marketing sponsor, and that relationship hits every aspect of Mercedes' success. Success that has translated into seven consecutive years of championship performance. From planning the season to navigating 23 individual race courses around the world to the races themselves, TIPCO's data-centric technologies are at the core of that winning tradition. These stories and a really nice history of Formula One make this a podcast that is well worth your time. And with that, I'll pass it on to Danny. listening to Tech Talks by Hello and welcome to Innovation at the Speed of Formula One at this hashtag Tipco Fast. My name is Danny Hornigold and it's been my privilege over the last 15 years to work within motorsports and Formula One. But in honesty, my whole life I've been a Formula One fan. Today I'm joined by a fantastic guest where I get an opportunity to delve deeper into the sport. I'm joined by not only Chief Analytics Officer from Tipco, but also the man that works alongside the Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team in their pursuit of further championships. Last year, uh, breaking the record and achieving seven consecutive World Constructors Championships. And this year, together, we go for eight. I'm joined by Michael O'Connell. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, Danny. Great to see you. I think last time we were together was at uh, Monaco a couple of years ago at the, at the race. Yeah, the, uh, the the surroundings I'm in now, Michael, to be honest, not quite as salubrious as that in Monaco. <laughs> uh, I miss going trackside so much, but I'm hopeful as the world begins to return to normality, it won't be uh, too long before we can share a glass of something cold somewhere around the world very soon. Absolutely. Hey, Danny, I wonder for the guests today, if you could give us a bit of a history of Formula One and how it's evolved um, in terms of the car, but also the data and uh, collected and so on. Yeah, it, it's funny, Michael, because if you've not followed Formula One closely, it can resemble quite a lot of other motorsports, but it's it's changed so much over the years. Formula One started back in 1950, so we celebrated a big anniversary last year, but the reality was when Formula One began, everything was already outdated. In the 50s, we were using cars from the late 1930s, and there were no sensors on the car. You had a fuel pressure gauge, an oil pressure gauge, and the most important thing was the, uh, the rev counter, just to make sure you didn't make the engine go pop the the biggest sensor was the driver and that sort of continued all the way through the 50s and 60s um and then in the 1970s we had just those first semblances of data so a tiny bit of telemetry collected by the car and then when it came into the garage you could plug it in and get something out of it but it, it started to really change as we stepped into the 80s so you'd suddenly get radio bursts we moved to turbo powered engines which are a little bit more complicated so fuel engine injections and turbo pressure needed to be monitored. So we began to get diagnostic checks you could run using uh, telemetry systems, telemetry coming back on the lab. But really it was the 90s, uh, Michael, to be honest. In the 90s, it just it changed completely. Many of the sort of innovations that we just take for granted nowadays, they really came about and were developed in what, what we consider the world's fastest moving laboratory in Formula One. So we had traction control, ABS, power steering, power braking, 
braking, semi-automatic gearboxes, which we take for granted. Um, we had full active ride height suspension, so the cars could change their ride height on a lap, and all of a sudden, this massive data started coming off the car, and um, fairly obviously, we want to see our athletes and our sports people um, delivering on their own. And so all of that was banned. And so the driver aids were taken away, but it didn't stop data becoming prevalent in Formula One. And it's just grown exponentially, not just on track, but of course, the way the teams work in simulation. And um, we sort of reached a point now where 30,000 channels of data across a weekend and each car together, uh, everything amplified up at track, a couple of terabytes of data off these two things with four wheels that go around in circles as fast as they can is sort of a, a crazy sport really now, Michael. No, it's incredible. I mean, all the way from the factory, the car design to the car configuration and setup, and then trackside, as you mentioned, you know, terabytes of data coming back from a weekend and and then unpacking that and figuring out how to, how to set up the car for the next race. It's, it's a very, very data intensive sport. It, I think what, what amazes me is again for people who don't watch Formula One regularly, you know, there are 23 races this year, the most in history. There's sort of a race every other week, and there's no other global sport that attracts the kind of viewing figures. We're looking at almost half a billion eyes that'll look at Formula One across a year. The only thing that's comparable to that is the Olympics, which is every four years, or the Soccer World Cup that's every four years. And I know Mercedes talk about to prepare a car for a season is a million human hours in design development and manufacture but I guess you know for me I said I've been working in the sport but I'm always sort of outside the doors if you like looking in I don't really get to actually see what goes on in the inner workings and Michael I'd love to know from yourself um, this year we've got three days of testing there is no other sport in the world where you're basically not allowed to practice uh, you know how on earth do we prepare for a season um, when we can't be taking these mules and prototypes out on track well, it's all about digital twins. We've got digital twins for pretty much every aspect of the car that you can imagine. And uh, I think maybe we can start with some of the car design and manufacturing work that happens and, uh, you know, how we configure the car and set it up and design it, uh, you know, with respect to, say, its aerodynamic properties. That's uh, an area of great, um, great interest and great data science work that goes on there, Danny. Uh, so I can tell you a bit about that, if you like. Yeah, let, let, let's delve in. One of the key things in Formula One is the aerodynamics. We can generate five times the downforce of, of even the world's greatest supercar. These cars could literally drive upside down on a tunnel, even doing half of their top speed. But we can't test that out on track. We've got to do that in the virtual world. And this year, we're limited on the time we've got to do that more than ever. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all about uh, making the most of the time that you have um, in the wind tunnel to set up the aerodynamics and try out, you know, as many different ideas as, as you can. So the way we've uh, figured out how to um, maximize the time in the wind tunnel is we've trained up uh, some data science models and uh, they're models of models, ensemble models, actually, uh, on the, all the runs that we have available to us so that we can predict that downforce as a function of all the con car configuration uh, parameters. And then when we've got, uh, someone has an idea, let's try this, a designer you know, gets, gets a new idea, uh, we'll, we have a 60% prototype uh, twin of the, of the car in the, in the wind tunnel, and we have it connected to all of those car parameter measurements uh, in, in real time. Uh, so we take that up that trained model, uh, and then we 
feed in the the uh, the data coming off of those car configuration uh, settings, uh, and we score that model. We predict from that model every few seconds, uh, and we're calculating the uh, the probability that the current uh, set of conditions is going to beat the best one that we've seen to date. Uh, and as we go through the run, if that probability starts to fade off, we can stop the run and we can recover you know, that time to go and test another good idea uh, that someone might have. Yeah, the team are going to need you more than ever this year, Michael. Uh, last year, regulations, 25 hours a week of wind tunnel on time. This year, the average is 10 hours a week. But as uh, champions, you get demoted even further. Only nine hours a week, so it's needed. But let's talk about the season. I mentioned before, 23 races a year. And they're so varied. You look at two back-to-back -back street circuits this year. Uh, we've got Monaco, this kind of low speed, very close to the wall, stop-start circuit. And then we go to another street circuit straight after, 230 miles an hour with one of the highest speeds in Formula One in Baku. How on earth are you preparing when you can't test prior to the weekend? It just seems impossible. Well, yeah, well, we've got a lot of data from uh, the past races of being on that track or uh, in general. And we, uh, from the digital twin models, we do a lot of simulations. And those simulations, we do thousands of simulations on thousands of variables that are involved in the car setup. So you multiply all that up, and it's actually billions of combinations of parameters that we're testing in the simulations that you know going into the race, and we're looking for the best combination of of, uh, of settings for that track, uh, for that driver, for that weather that we're going to experience, uh, and out of those millions of simulations that we do, uh, the guys, the engineers, have got those on their laptop in our Tipco Spotfire product. Uh, and those uh, pre-event simulations are used up and down the team uh, at the factory uh, with the engineers. Uh, uh, they even pull up uh, Spotfire on the on the airplane or you know trackside on on the way from the airplane to the track, constantly uh, tweaking and understanding uh, how to find that best combination. Uh, you know the simulations cover things like the suspension and the you know potential wind uh, effects and. Um, uh, and those uh, setups are, are constantly tweaked, um, you know, at the garage, in transit, at, at the circuit, you know, back and forth. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the setup, uh, optimal setup can change I mean, daily or even hourly across the weekend, you know, as the weather might change, uh, the temperature, you know, the, the, uh, there might be a, a, a bit of rain or something. Uh, and so these simulations are, are very dynamic. They're not... Um, yeah, they're not a static thing that you leave uh, uh, the factory and, uh, and then just land at, at the track. Um, Let, let's delve into that, Michael, because we, we, we've seen now that you're limited. There's only 60 personnel that are allowed trackside. And you talk, I remember speaking to a driver that, that raced in the 90s, and he said, look, when you got trackside, you kind of had 30 things you could change to get your setup right. Now there's literally millions of combinations you could put together. So you're working to reduce that parameter to get ready. But right. once you're there trackside, You've got, there's no testing. You've done your three days pre-season. So you've got four hours and it's practice. And most people think it's, it's the drivers practicing, but it's not. They can, they're ready in a few laps. It's tweaking that car in only four hours to be race perfect. What does the journey look like over the weekend for these different circuits? We arrive, what happens from Friday morning? How is Tipco enabling the team uh, through that weekend? Yeah, so when we first get to the track and the driver goes out and gets those first laps, you know, on, on, on the practice day, uh, 
when they come back, we, we, you know, they, the team talks to them, you know, did you have to understeer on this corner? Did you have to oversteer? The, the, the simulations are not just about the car setup itself, but, you know, we have a driver in loop simulator that runs back at the factory as well to get, uh, you know, make it the, the touch, you know, of the, of the wheel on, on that particular track, uh, you know, be the best that it can be, you know, for the driver. So that, that interview, um, you know, coming back from those first laps is, uh, is important. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the other interesting thing I think I'm probably real proud of is that everybody stands around and looks at those spot fire analyses. And I'm, when I say everyone, I mean Toto, mm. um, you know, Lewis and Valtteri, the drivers, you know, James, uh, and they all look at these, uh, the way we've chosen the parameters and they agree on what the setup is going to be for the qualifying and, and, for, and for the race day. Uh, but it's, you know, you're constantly tweaking uh, and looking at different part, different simulations to lock in on on the optimal settings. And you can look at, uh, you know, what is a particular parameter? I've, I might have done a simulation changing by a millimeter, one, one of the variables, and just look at and see, well, you know, what is the setting that we think is going to work for uh, uh, the setup that we've encountered and the track, uh, the conditions. And like to your point, Danny, sometimes we haven't even been on a track before or other times... I think last year Silverstone was resurfaced before we got there and our simulations were on, you know, data from uh, the older surface, you know, uh, yeah. things down, you know, Monaco, you can be affected by the, you know, if they've, um, it's on a public road. So if they've done repairs to the road or put down new paint, uh, you can be affected by that even. Yeah, they open the roads up on a Saturday night, so even if someone's party too hard, it can have an effect on how we deal with Sunday. Um, right. Let's look. I mentioned there you've got practice, we go to qualifying, but th there's only points given out on Sunday on the race day. 25 points go to the winner. That's what we're after every weekend. But it's not just the driver that's racing flat out. It's the people you've mentioned with the headphones on in the garage right. at the Central Engineering Station. They're racing just as hard over that day. But those critics critical decisions, um, they're not easy, are they? And I'll just explain quickly, for, th for those who don't follow Formula One closely, we used to be able to change tyres relatively frequently because the, there was no speed limit in the pit lane. You could do 200 miles crazily through the pit lane. Now, you're limited to 50 miles an hour. So to, a pit stop is a big sacrifice. You're going to lose 20 or more seconds in the pit lane. It means when you make that choice and when you move on to that tyre, Difficult analysis. When do you go for the overtake? When do you, none of that easy, Michael? No, absolutely. And uh, you know, also the regulations there is quite interesting. Like you know, the first um, qualifying, you know, Q three, um, you get out there and uh, you, you you got to make the cut basically. And then if you get into the second qualifying Q two, uh, then you now this Q two is important because you know whatever tire you use on your fastest lap in Q two is what you have to start race day on. And so you have a little bit of strategy there about you want to get through, you don't want to get knocked out uh, and you want to preserve your new tires for race day. Uh, but that, you know, your fastest lap in, in uh, Q2, uh, you know, is then used, um, you know, to start the race. And so some uh, set, uh, tracks like Monaco, uh, you want to get the pole. You really set up the car for, for Saturday qualifying uh, because if you get pole position, it's difficult to get an overtake in Monaco. Uh, uh, but, you know, you also want to make sure that you've um, got a tire to, that you're going to start on that's going to give you some longevity. So maybe you want to do Q2 on a, on a medium tire so that you get to start on the medium medium tire. But you might, uh, you know, on Q1, the, the final qualifying day, you might get out there with a soft tire to uh, see what you can get. Right. So um, 
it's a it's a strategy just in the tire selection, Danny. Right? That that balance. I mean, we talk about tire wear. There's only two millimeters of usable rubber on the tires. People talk about getting the tire into the right temperature window, which is is great, right? But the tire can change temperature by 100 degrees Fahrenheit in one corner. So that balance is unbelievable. But before we move on from this sort of race day thing, Michael, one of the things that I've noticed is prior to Tipco uh, being with, with Mercedes, I remember speaking to an engineer just saying, our oh, data, it must be growing exponentially in the sport. And they just said, look, baby, back at the factory, but trackside, we, we don't need any more because we can't look at it till the weekend has gone by and then we go oh yeah we could have changed that and maybe won the race but being able to pick out those key elements highlight the key areas of concern to an engineer and then allowing those geniuses track side empowering them to make those critical decisions when they're trying to race hard for me has been the big difference that i've seen since tibco have entered the sport michael yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned about, um, you know, understanding the car performance in terms of being able to overtake the car in front. Uh, you know, that's an important consideration on, on race day. And, uh, you know, that is a, a function um, in large part on, on tire wear. You know, you want to be able to have a, a good tire on, on your car in terms of the car that is in front of you. Uh, you want the tire differential, the wear differential to be uh, uh, to be in your favor. And so for every tire, we construct predictions of tire wear, uh, you know, as a function of, uh, of lap or as a, as a function of uh, time on the car. Uh, and so we kind of get a feel for, uh, you know, with our overtakes model, it's like um, we've got a model for tire wear that goes into that. We've got, um, you know, the track and the position on the track, you know, the gap to the car in front, the latent speed differential. Uh, you know, we've trained up uh, models that, uh, uh, take into account, you know, all those variables so that we know uh, when we're going to be able to have a big run at, at an overtake of, 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 the car, of the car in front. And we that model has to be has to work for the for the, the small section of the parameter space that is important. So, you know, a second gap to the car in front, certain parts of the track, the, the tire differences. We're constantly evaluating the tires. Uh, you know, you don't want to fall off a cliff, which is a uh, you yeah. know a phrase, a phrase. You know, as you know, Danny, for it's just the running Formula out of time. One phrase, right? <laughs> Michael, to wrap things up, I want to talk about our great leader previously, of course, Nicky Lauda. Sadly, no longer with us, but he, Nicky hated to lose. But he said everything he ever learnt was from the, the losses that he took, and really, like any sport or business. It's not just taking the win and, and the champagne. The drivers don't go out and party then. They're in an engineering debrief afterwards. And win, lose, or draw, there's a huge amount of work and learning being done after the race that we can carry forward. No, that's exactly right. So we take the race data, as you mentioned, and it can be in the terabytes, uh, feed that into the other data that we're using for the simulations, and we get ready for the next weekend. And so it's important to be able to zone in on particular race moments that happened and understand you know, what happened from that. So being able to retrieve that, the data at those you know, components, whether it's at the race start or when the, we were driving really fast or what it is, how do we go in and, and decompress and unpack what happened and then incorporate that into the models, the simulation models for the next weekend. So you kind of look at those deltas and then you model the delta uh, in terms of the parameters and find the important variables that can close the gap you know, for the following weekend. So we do a lot of simulation sweeps across the tracks, the drivers, the seasons to uh, get the best data that we can uh, to learn from what, what happened. And we feed those back into uh, 
you know, the simulation sweeps for the next weekend and always looking out for anomalies that m might be able to tune the car in a, in a better way and do it all over for the next uh, next track and the next race, essentially, Danny, with the learnings of the of the most recent race. Yeah, that great quote of um, to finish first, first you must finish and making sure that reliability is there <laughs> through all the force. M Michael, it it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I think Formula One sometimes can seem a little bit inaccessible, but, um, but for all of our guests watching at Tibco Fast right now, I think the, the key thing is 22 races still to come this season all across the world. For those brave enough, they can get up and watch bright and early these early European races at Imola and Portugal. We sweep through Europe and some amazing places but then North America and the circuit Gilles Villeneuve till the latter part of the season and some nice easy ones for people getting up to watch the race in Austin at Circuit of the Americas and Mexico but ultimately uh, at Tibco you are part of the team you're part of a challenge this year for everyone watching as we go for eight consecutive championships together again watch on ESP or ESP ESPN excuse me or ESPN2 jump onto the Tibco website and find out how that competitive advantage is coming coming about and the team social channels and keep up to date. Michael, I'm going to let you uh, get back to making sure we're fast enough to challenge to win the next Grand Prix. And but thanks everyone for watching media. and we'll see you and if at you a race somewhere podcast, very soon. Leading, Always fun, Danny, to be with you. Let's uh, catch up during the season. Yeah, Monaco, I hope. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> thank you, Danny, and thank you, Michael. That was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I hope too. If you'd like to learn more of and the Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team, go to tipco.com slash F1. You'll find a tremendous amount of resources, uh, pictures, case studies, etc. Thank you again and look forward to hearing you on the next episode of Tipco Tech Talks. You've been listening to Tech Talks by Tipco. Stay tuned for more innovation-filled episodes. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and leave a review.